Hey, this is Mark Appel, and you're listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Strohs Across the Globe, the podcast presenting an international view on the Houston Astros, brought to you in association with Apollo Media as part of the Apollo Podcast Network, all Houston, all original. I'm your host, George Martin, also known as Astros Fans UK on Twitter and similarly on other platforms. Wow, it has been quite some time since the last episode, and while I must apologise for that, please be assured it has not been for the lack of trying. The show lives off being able to get high-caliber Astro-centric guests, and if they're not available, then quite frankly, there's no Strohs Across the Globe podcast. So I guess, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, if you like what you hear and would love to hear more, then please do shout about it online and in the reviews in whichever platform you listen to the show on, as this can only help me attract the biggest and best names on as guests. With all that said, what an incredible year since the last episode. The Houston Astros 2022 World Series Champions. Championship number two and a simply phenomenal coronation of what was arguably the best Astros team ever. Featuring surely inarguably the best ensemble Astros pitching staff ever with one of the greatest bullpens of all time. So many immortal moments across that October and November, from Jordan Alvarez's spectacular walk-off three-run bomb against the Seattle Mariners, Jeremy Pena's sensational multiple postseason series MVP run, beating the New York Yankees in the postseason for the fourth time with a memorable 4-0 sweep in the ALCS, and, of course, the Christian Javier Field historic combined no-hitter in Philadelphia in Game 4 of the World Series, before Jordan Alvarez's titanic three-run mega-bomb at Minute Maid Park in Game 6 against the Phillies to secure an emotional and fully deserved World Series triumph for the Astros. So many other points I would like to cover but do not have the time to go through. However, I will take a moment to thank the legendary Justin Verlander for capping off his wonderful Astros career with a second ring. He will truly be missed. And also to congratulate both Framber Valdez on a sensational 2022 and his growth into a talismanic leader and pitcher in his own right and also celebrate the crowning achievement of Dusty Baker finally winning it all as a manager which was long, long overdue. We move on to 2023 with the Astros set firmly on breaking the World Series winner curse in trying to become the first team to defend the title since 2000 and set in very good stead indeed as we approach the new season. But back to today's episode and I have a superb and fascinating Astros guest on the show for you as I had the chance to speak to the 2013 MLB number one draft pick in the first round for the Houston Astros, Mark Capel. In a thoroughly interesting and revealing chat, we begin with a catch-up on what he's been up to over the off-season and moving on to look at his goals for the 2023 season following his stirring achievement of finally managing to make his Major League Baseball debut in 2022 for the Phillies. After this, we take a journey through his troubled years with the Astros and look at the pressures he faced en route to his lowest points before looking at how he was able to make it through the hardest times and rebuild himself both as a man and a baseball player, finding himself emerging on the other side with a positive outlook on life. We finish off with a focus on the controversial rule changes introduced by Major League Baseball for the 2023 season and a view on the forthcoming 2023 edition of the World Baseball Classic. I cannot stress this enough. Please keep subscribing, rating and reviewing stories across the globe on the podcast platform which you are listening to this on. And please keep spreading the good word about stories across the globe. Now it's time for that chat between myself and Mark Appel. I really hope you enjoy it. Right. Without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome onto the show a man who has not only played a notable role in the story of the Houston Astros rise from the depths, but gone on to deliver a truly remarkable story of his own. 
He was the first draft pick overall in Major League Baseball for the Astros in 2013, but after an extraordinary path over the following years, finally fought back all the way to make his Major League Baseball debut in 2022 with the Philadelphia Phillies. I am, of course, referring to none other than the man himself, Mark Appel. Delighted to have you as a guest on the show. No better place to start. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, George. Thanks for having me. I, I just got down to uh, Clearwater, Florida, where the Phillies have their spring training um, a couple of days ago, and so I'm I'm ready and rearing to go for uh, for what's hopefully a great 2023 season. Sounds good. Uh, have you been spending your off season? Well, oh man, um, a little bit of everything. I I spent the first couple months um just back in Houston I was uh that's where my 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 parents live um my brother mm-hmm. and his wife and uh and I just have a lot of friends there too and so Houston's always been kind of a landing spot it's always felt like home for me um you know I I owned a home there for probably five or six years as well um before before I started to come back and play baseball and didn't make sense uh anymore but um but yeah, it, uh, spent a couple months in Houston, and then um, I I actually uh, d- during the season last year I was w- working on building out a uh, camper van um, to take on the road uh, so that I could go and see friends and and teammates um, just all over the country. Um, and so I was on the road for about seven weeks, and I had wow. Had my own training program uh set up so that I could I could you know I had a lot of workout equipment in the van with me and so like it was it was a different off season for sure um you know but I I felt like I was able to get everything I needed to get done to be ready to go and show up you know in a pretty good spot for uh for spring training I'd love to hear that that, that sounds like pretty good material for a documentary so I hope you're recording those sort of day-to-day experiences yeah, I, I I would record whenever I whenever I thought about it. I wish I did a little bit more consistently, but um, it might be something. You know, I had so much fun. I, I might do a little bit. Um, you know, every off season, as long as I'm I'm blessed to continue playing this game. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. Um, you know, I feel like I learned a lot about myself just getting to be by myself in solitude, and then and then being in cities and seeing friends and um just all the things that come up with like all right where am i we're gonna where what campsite am i gonna stay at tonight and you know um how long am i gonna be here and you know who who's who do i know that's in this area things like that so it was it was it was honestly a wonderful experience um and i got to see so many beautiful places in the american southwest and um you know it, it was it was just a it was a great trip something i'll i'll you know, maybe I'll never be able to do something like that again mm. uh, for that long. And so I was, I was just really excited to, to be able to do that. Um, and so that, that ended up maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine days ago or so. Mm. So I was spent a week back home in Houston and then <laughs> drove down to Clearwater. So put a lot of miles on the car. <laughs> mm. if, if you ever do release any footage or whatever from that, I'd definitely be uh, interested in, in checking that out. Y- you mentioned about your Houston background and in terms of having been back there since the season ended, it must have been quite surreal just touching back on the World Series for the Astros to be playing against the Phillies. It must have been, uh, for you personally, a kind of swirl of uh, different emotions and and feelings. I mean, I I guess you must have grown up as an Astros fan, right? I did. I did. I grew up in the, you know, the Craig Biggio, Mm -hmm. Jeff Bagwell era of Astros baseball when they had some success. Um, You know, my my story, I, I was born in Houston, 
And I lived there until 2003 when we moved to California for my dad's job. But I was an Astros fan through and through. And, you know, they're still in the National League. So I'd go to Astros Giants games um, at then AT&T Park in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, you know, w- watching the Astros run in the 2005 um, playoffs and getting to the World Series. And, um, <laughs> you know, the we all remember the the Albert Pujols home run off Brad Lidge and just some of those key moments that yeah. um, that just stick with you when you're, you know, growing up and become these like core memories. And, um, you know, I was an Astros fan all the way until college and even a little bit in college. And then once really once I started to realize that, man, professional baseball m- might be a legit path for me, mm-hmm. uh, I tried to like remove myself from the fandom of any any team but you know deep down it's like i still love the astros and and it's my hometown team and my all my fan you know all my my uh, friends and my family they're all in houston and so um yeah so when i when i got drafted uh after my senior year of college it was it was just like a dream come true honestly yeah i was um, listening to a podcast you were on in the last month uh, i think it was sports spectrum podcast and you were talking about how um i think you you said for games three four and five you were were you in the dugout or for, for, for those games no, or were you? No, I, so I'm not, you know, I, I think what, because I got hurt at the end of the season, mm-hmm. um, you know, they sent me down to Florida to, to do all my rehab and, um, and, you know, I was on, I was on the, on the, you know, 60 IL, so I was on the 40 man roster, but you know, it was, it was at a, I think it was at a point in the season where, man, these guys are, are locked in, they're focused. Um, you know, I'm not actually able to be up there and, and compete. I'm not able to go yeah. up and help. Um, and, and I mean, I, if I'm being real, it's like, I had, I had 10.1 innings, uh, <laughs> in, in the big leagues last year. And I was up for, you know, five, six, seven weeks, something like that. Um, and so, you know, I felt like I, all the relationships were, were there. Um, but I didn't want to be a distraction and, and I don't think that the organization wanted, you know, a, just a bunch of guys around being like, oh man, we're in the That's world series. Nice. Like let's bring everyone in. Um, we got, you know, we got a job to do. And so, um, yeah, but I, I, you know, I was there, uh, in Philly at games three, four, five, I decided not to go to the ash, the games in Houston, um, because I would have been in the stands and, and I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> what I want to deal with. Uh, you know, you you just get one picture of me that's you know put on Twitter or something. And it's just like, <laughs> all right, you know, that's I. It didn't seem like it was the it was worth the risk. You know, <laughs> no, I think that was a sensible decision, um, even if it may have uh, come at a cost to your childhood fandom. Just speaking as someone who's not within the Astros organization anymore, and indeed with in terms of the most recent World Series arrival, what is the view that you get of the Astros? And I'm not, I'm certainly not talking about the scandal, talked about that enough. That's not right. what's discussion here. The general view of the Astros as a powerhouse, as a juggernaut, which in the AL they clearly are, you know, we've won, we've gone to six straight ALCS, won four of those one, two World Series. I mean, is there a case of other teams viewing the Astros as like, what's how are these guys able to just reload and reload? You know, they're bringing up all overseas or international signings, etc. who are just filling gaps. And if Verlander leaves, we've got Hunter Brown willing to step in. It's like, what, what's going on with these guys? What is the view from other teams? They're a bunch of cheaters. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. I, you know, I, I still have a, a, a handful of friends, you know, that were part of that original group in mm. 20, you know, in the early mid 2010s and, and late 2010s. And, um, and so, uh, man, yeah, th- I think, I think the thing from our perspective as an outsider now yeah. is, um, yeah, they, they, they seem to do a really good job with, um, you know, with replacing guys with high quality talent, you know, like you said, Hunter Brown came in and key moments and, um, you know, and then obviously getting Verlander back last year was, was in the year that he had was, was massive, just incredible. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Jeremy Pena stepping in for Carlos Correa. Right. And so it's like, all right. I mean, it seems like they know how to draft, they know how to develop players and, um, you know, even, even I, I'll give, and I feel like this is relevant. It's like, you know, we play the Braves every year and mm. a lot, right. And, and I think the same sentiments can be said about the Braves because, you yeah. know, they have all these young guys and they're starting to, you know, sign these guys to these long-term extensions. Spencer Strider, you know, gets called up and he's like, where's this guy been? He's like already one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, you know? nails yeah, yeah. Michael Harris. And, and so you're like, okay. You know, maybe they're doing something a little bit different. I think the Phillies are really trying to do that too. Um, and we have some guys that I think, you know, whether whether it's this year or in 2024, get up and and they'll be impact players. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, yeah, and then and then clearly the um, you know the Astros hired Dana Brown uh, to be the GM, and so it's like there, there's a this a similar philosophy there. Yeah, and I, and I think it's something that a lot of a lot of teams want to replicate um, because if you want to have a sustainable uh, winning team and winning organization, you know, it's like you're going to need um, you're going to need to understand all the roles that you need to fill. And the Astros have had the guys to do that, um, whether yeah. it's through draft or through trades, acquisitions, you know, like Jordan Alvarez and and that's. That goes to their amateur. I mean, not their amateur, but their their professional lower level scouting, and they say, yeah. "Man, this is a guy that projects to be a, a stud," and he absolutely is, you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's like anytime you play the Astros, you play the Braves, you play, you know, even even the Mets, and I'm just trying to. Think, there's probably a handful of like six mm-hmm. or seven teams in the league that you're like, you know, that even if they don't have their best players. Like it's going to be a dogfight to win this series, um, and and I mean we we experienced that we experienced that you know last year in the World Series. Sure. So. I think just touching back on what you said in terms of being ready for this year, just going sort of zeroing in more on your career, you've had that breakthrough to get to the majors in 2022, which we'll go through the the road which got you there a little later. But having got to that point now, and like you said, you, you, you've made 10 appearances, what are your targets for 2023 in terms of your development? I mean, you're 31, so you're not, you know, you're not an old player by any means, despite the, the fact that it seems like you've been around for a long time. You're not, I can tell you as a 38 year old, you're not, you're not old. So um, it's a, it's a, you've got a long time left in this game if you stay healthy. What are your immediate goals for this season? Man, um, it, it's sometimes hard to put goals on a specific, man, I want to make this many appearances and mm-hmm. all this stuff. I'm a pretty, like, I'm a hopeful guy, and I, I really believe that good things can happen, but I'm also a realistic guy. And so it's like, yeah. you know, I, I, I was hurt at the end of the year. Um, you know, the, they, the team decided to take me off the 40 man roster. I, I'll tell, I'll t- I tell, they're like, why'd you take you? Like you pitched great last year. I'm like, 
would you rather have me or Trey Turner? Like you, you tell me, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, you know, but they, so they, it, it's a business, right? So they have to make these business decisions. Um, and like, I wanted to be back with Philly. I think Philly wanted to have me back, um, but they mm-hmm. could only do it on the minor league side. But, you know, I've shown it to camp. They, I feel like I'm a known quantity. And so, you know, I think I have a legit chance to, of making the team, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still hard because I'm on the outside looking in. So I can't yeah. make these goals about, man, I, 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 I need a break with camp or break, you know, break with the team from camp. Because if that's my goal, it's like I could literally do everything that I could possibly do, not give up a single run all spring, and still might not break with the team. And that's mm-hmm. just the reality of where I am in my career. So I focus, I tend to focus on the day-to-day. I say, okay, what did I do good last year? Well, I think my sinker was really good. It was really effective, right? Um, and so I want to keep refining that. Um, I I feel like I had a decent slider, but I think that can be a lot better. So I want to work on making my slider better, you know, especially with kind of the sinker that I have. And mm-hmm. um, I think my changeup is pretty good, but it's just not consistent. And so like, how can I throw that consistently, even if just enough to get people to make my fastball all that much better? Yeah, right? makes sense. And so, so these are some things that I think about. And then from, from just like a, an execution standpoint, it's like I look at I look at my numbers and I'm like, man, um, I was a, a probably a, a average to just below average, um, you know, in my walk percentage. I was below, well below average in my strikeout percentage, um, but I was well below average in getting ahead in the count. And so I'm like, I didn't walk in too many guys mm-hmm. uh, when I got behind. I was able to battle, but it's like those numbers, like the strikeout numbers and all that stuff like I think will go up if I'm just attacking the zone and trusting my stuff and trusting the defense behind me. And I know that's like simple stuff to say, but I think there Mm -hmm. are things that you can think about when I'm playing catch every day and when I'm on the mound and throwing my bullpens that will actually lead to better results, you know, in, in, in the games. Um, And so, yeah, I I mean, I have a lot of goals and, and maybe they're, they're, they're kind of hard to like exactly put your finger on and and it might be, you know, it's like, right. I want to, I want to get, have an O one count, you know, 85 or 90% of my at bats, you know, I think that would mean that I would probably be able to be in the big leagues and, Mm -hmm. you know, have success up there, help the team, you know, maybe earn roles that um, are, you know, I guess, quote unquote, better than the the role that I had of, you know, pitching in, in blowout games and things like that. But um, it's like, I'm not going to earn anything unless I figure out what my role is right now. And I do that to the best of my ability. So it's like controlling the controllables, I guess. You, you can't look too far ahead when yeah. when you're in normal for spring training. Is there a lot? I mean, how how much pressure do you feel in that situation? At this point in my career, I don't feel too much pressure, um, which I'm thankful for. You know, I used mm-hmm. to feel tons of pressure with the Astros, and you know whether you know and and you know maybe maybe God allowed me to go through a lot of that stuff so that I could, you know, in like when I got called up last year, I enjoyed every single minute of it. I didn't feel a single ounce of pressure. I didn't feel like I didn't belong. Like I just, it was just like pure joy uh, in the middle of all that. And, you know, I imagine if I got called up, like when I was supposed to back in the day, if I was ha- being like playing, like I should have been, um, you know, I would have just continued to feel that pressure being like, man, I feel like the weight of the organization is on my back and all this stuff. Right. Just, yeah. I mean, honestly, just thinking too highly of, of like, 
how big of an impact I have on, on the team. Right. It's like, you know, to do, to win a world series, like you're going to need everyone to be, you know, figure out what their role is and to do it well. And, and hopefully you have really talented players. And that's why I like the Phillies. Like when I got up, I'm like, I see it. I, I see it in the clubhouse. Like, like we don't have a lot of egos in here and, and yeah. everyone's like just pulling their own weight and we're all supporting each other as they pull their weight. And, you know, it's like, I feel like this team can go far and, you know, it's just like, mm. I feel like we improved uh, this off season too. So. Yeah. I, I think just touching upon what you said about not feeling that pressure, it comes across from reading you online. It's admirable to put it mildly that you're able to bring such a kind of Zen like outlook to how you're dealing with things now, considering everything you went through. And also because let's face it, social media these days in 2023 is the toxicity is almost beyond mm. belief. So to see that it's, it's refreshing to have such a, a positive outlook and one which says not worrying about what can go wrong, but more thinking about what can go right and what I can do to try and get that. So I, I, I applaud you for that. Let's go back to let's, let's kind of walk through um, the years when when you were on the way up and you hadn't signed with any major league team. You had, I mean, I'm going off Wikipedia info, which correct me if it's wrong, because obviously it could be complete nonsense. Let's hope not. But um, well, it's close enough. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they said 2009, going way back, selected by the, the Tigers uh, in the, uh, was the 15th round, 450th overall, and you declined and went to, to, to Stanford on a scholarship. What are your thoughts back then as, well, would you, would you have been then? You would have been, um, what, 17 years old? Uh, yeah, 17, 18. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so it's... That summer, yeah. So, so when that offer comes through, what are you thinking? Well, you know, that, that was, that one was a lot easier. Um, you know, and even, I mean, really what, what we had told teams before was like, man, education's huge in our family. Um, mm-hmm. getting a chance to go to Stanford university. It's like, that's a once in a lifetime thing. And so it's like, if you feel like you can draft me and offer me something that's once in a lifetime opportunity, um, that I couldn't get coming out of Stanford, like, like feel free to. And I think the, you know, the Tigers, they drafted me and they, they're like, Hey, we, we project you out. Like we, we really high on you. We're, we're, you know, we really like you and, but you're a sign risk. And so we don't want to waste the top mm-hmm. pick. Um, and so I think they had me, you know, potentially in the second or third round, something like that, but they're like, mm-hmm. they knew I was going to be a tough sign. And so, they they drafted their um their top guys and um you know they they called me on the de- deadline day and they said hey we don't have any money in our budget to draft you so like we aren't even going to make an or to sign you we aren't even going to make an offer like we hope to see you in three years <laughs> you know and, and okay. that's that's just how it went and um but they're like you know we we thought so highly of you that we even drafted mm-hmm. you in the 15th round because if we weren't able to sign some of our guys we would have definitely try to make a run at you so um, okay but it all worked out how it should have and and it was mm. kind of it was like an easy it was like, yeah i'm going i'm going to stanford and then moving on you obviously go to stanford and you play over 2010 and 2011 you played for was it newport girls in the new england new england uh collegiate baseball league played for stanford as a cardinal stanford cardinal is that correct for, yeah cardinal um, the color is weird oh all oh, right yeah. okay and um and yarmouth dennis red sox in the cape cod baseball league and then we get to 2012 where you uh with national pitcher of the year and a collegiate baseball first team all-american in that year 
it mentions again. I, I, hate, I hate to reference Wikipedia, but it mentions on Wikipedia it says you reject. It says you rejected an Astros six million dollar signing bonus offer. Is that correct? No, no. Because that does, um, I was, I just, that sounded really strange to me, and I thought because I thought that there's no way that that could be right. But it, moving on, it says you were selected eighth overall by the Pirates, Pittsburgh Pirates, in the draft of that year. Check this one was correct. The three point eight million signing bonus at, at that point. Now this is a few years down the line from when you were selected by the Tigers and now there's money on the table. How difficult is that to turn down as a young man when you are considering the ways in which you can kind of gamble on yourself? Do I go for it now, take that money, risk it not working out, going through the minors? Or do I stick with my current schedule and hope that I don't miss the chance? Yeah, I I think for me, um, you know, money and I don't say this to sound like stuck up or anything like that, but mm-hmm. money has never meant quite as much as it seems to mean to, to most of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, for me, it's a, it's a tool. I'm like, and I, I, I live a pretty simple life. It's like, as long as I have <clears throat> food on my table and a roof over my head, I'm like, I, I, I have all that I need. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and then I'll, there's a lot of stuff that having money is, you know, I can travel a little bit more, yeah. you know, you know, maybe that meal like is a steak every now and then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it, there's some nice things about it for sure. But, um, yeah, you know, it was weird. It's like, I felt worse about, and at that time, I, I, I mean, I cared so much about what other people thought about me and mm-hmm. I, 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 I felt worse about not signing because, I think it would have made me look like this greedy, stuck up kind of guy than not missing out on the money. It's like if I missed out on that money, it's like, yes, it's life changing money, but it's like, I don't think that my life would have been worse because I didn't have that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I still have all the relationships that mean the most to me. You know, I, I like had was fortunate to, ha- I would have a Stanford degree, you know, and be able to, hopefully go get a good job and, and try to contribute to the world and things like that. And I think there's a lot of value in that. So it was a hard decision for sure. Um, you know, and part of it was just like figuring out, um, trying to be both principled and saying, man, you know, the year before the pirates drafted Garrett Cole, I, I towed the rubber against Garrett Cole in college and obviously he's incredible talent. Um, but, you know, they offered him $8 million and he signed as the first overall pick. And, you know, mm. my, uh, my advisor at the time who ended up becoming my agent, uh, Scott Boris, and he was like, you know, he's like, the Pirates are basically telling you that you're half the player Garrett Cole is. And I don't think that's true, you know. And he <laughs> he, he was he was Garrett's, you know, he's Garrett's agent, too. So uh, I was like, yeah, you know, and I'm like with my young. I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to stick it to the man and get what I'm worth or whatever. <laughs> Uh, but that wasn't really the only factor. Um, there are so many other reasons why I wanted to go back to school. Um, you know, and, and a big, you know, you look at the risk of going back and you're like, all right, well, injury risk, um, what can I do to stay healthy and stay on the field? And and then, um, you know, is there a way to insure against, you know, potential injury? And then, um, and then there's, uh, you know, just the other risks of just like, what if the Astros and all the other teams, what if the exact same scenario happens again? And so, yeah, you know, I was like, I didn't think 
like I, you know, I tried to analyze it as best I could, but there's no perfect decision. And I just made the, the best decision. That I felt. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So let's take it a year further. So you finished at Stanford by this point, you got your degree, was it management science and engineering? And then in 2013, as we all know, uh, you're the number one pick in Major League Baseball made by the Astros. Can you recall how you felt when that day came around and what was it what was it like looking back on it now? What was it like? Oh man, it was it was just a it was a dream come true. I was with all my closest friends and my family, and um man, it was it was a special day. Uh especially because it was a full year after everything happened with the pirates and I decided to go mm-hmm. back to school. That clearly wasn't the popular decision. And um, so maybe deep down, I felt like vindicated and justified in that decision, but, but more so I felt just so excited about um, what the future might hold. And the fact that I could go back with the Astros, my hometown team, I was like, man, I, I just see God's hand on all of this going forward. So. Mm. As we know how things transpired with the Astros, what do you attribute the kind of the downturn of your career from that point? There's a quote which is attributed to you about saying that you went from being one of the best pitchers in baseball to then suddenly being the worst pitcher in baseball and you couldn't work out what was going on. Why do you think that was? Was it something technical? And if it was, why? what was it? Um, well, I think I think there were a number of factors. Um, one, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, it's just like the, the mental side of the game. Yeah. You know, I was, I felt all the pressure of, you know, trying to be the best in every game, every day, like was a day that was like, if I'm not making a huge stride forward, I'm not being successful, you know? Mm. And, you know, I, I, I guess I had this like expectation of myself that I could be in the big leagues very quickly. And I think a lot of people would have said that was reasonable. Um, but, you know, anytime there was any sense of failure, um, I just, I just carried that really, really, I, I just held on to it and clung tight to it. And, um, and it, it just wasn't healthy for me. Um, and then physically, uh, I, I think my, my body was starting to, um, I guess, you know, and I, it's hard to say, cause I didn't feel a thing when I was in college and I don't know hmm. what it was or why. Um, but you know, in that 2014 season, I started to feel some just weird feelings in my elbow. And then, you know, over the years, like my shoulder started to, yeah, just probably compensation from that. And, um, you know, and then I probably just had too much pride to say something and be like, Hey, I'm not feeling the best right now. Um, cause I'm like, I need to get to the big leagues. Like there, there's no time to get hurt for, for me. Yeah. And so I think that just like spiraled. Um, but yeah, that, that first year was really hard. Cause I mean, I was met with just immediate failure in a, in a really grandiose way. Um, and that was, that was just hard to deal with. So, um, I, I kind of look back at it and see it as God's kindness to, mm-hmm. um, keep me from becoming this like incredibly, you know, like stuck up egotistical, you know, guy. And I, mm. I mean, I feel like I, I had a decent handle on like my character piece, but looking back, I can see, man, there's so many things that I felt like God wanted to work on in my life and he used yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, like I'm like, I wish he didn't have to use like failures and and struggles mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But I think in most people's life, they can look back and see that that's how God often uses these yeah. things is how he often works to 
to make people better. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, like I, I look back and I'm like, that was the hardest time of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also like one of the times in my life that I'm most thankful for. Yeah. Um, It makes sense. Yeah. So I think, I think other people get that when they go through something like that, but, um, it still wasn't fun. (laughs) No, no, I appreciate that. So again, moving further. So eventually you get traded to the Phillies in 2015. You keep plugging away and then you get, I think it was a shoulder injury in 2017. You missed half of the season and make the decision at that point that you're going to step away from the game. When you were in those three years that you weren't involved in baseball, firstly, what did you do? Like, How did you keep yourself busy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, I didn't really know what to do. I, I started working for a company that one of my buddies from high school was working at and he he played pro baseball and and they were it was still in the baseball world a little bit um and it's like this uh financial company called rock fence capital and and um basically what what i felt like my job was was this kind of like trying to leverage my relationships in baseball for it wasn't even that much financial gain honestly it was just like hey this is the products that we're offering and um you know and I, I did that for about six or seven months. And I think it's a good company. Um, it's just like, I realized pretty quickly that like, I don't want to, like, I care too much about my teammates and and friends mm. in the game to try to like change the relationship between, hey, I'm someone that cares about you because I love you versus I'm someone that cares about you because you might be, you know, the path to making more money mm. or, or whatever yeah. it is. And, you know, it's like the classic, like, um, you know, you haven't heard from the guy in years and, and you're like, Hey, how you doing? You know, let me tell you about this insurance product that I'm offering. You know, it's like, why does everyone just, you know, when they change their, their careers, they go sell insurance mm-hmm. or something. Um, so I, I realized that. And I, 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 I wanted to get out for that reason. And, um, just maybe around that time I started to, um, around that time I started to like wonder, it's like, maybe I could go back and play. Like, I don't know. Like that seems like a ridiculous thought because I've been hurt for so long and Mm -hmm. I haven't had success in so, so long. And, um, but I still love the game. I was, I I went to a lot of Astros games that year. Um, uh, partly both for, and I think I I mentioned my, my relationship with Steven Piscotti, who's with the A's. Okay. Uh, and so his that was the year his mom was diagnosed with ALS. Yeah, I recall. Yeah, passed away, and and so I don't know for whatever reason, like Stephen has an incredible support group. Um, but I felt like I got to be a part of that that year. Um, I got to see him in spring training. I got to go to a lot of Astros games, and I wore an A's hat at Minute Maid Park, which is really Ooh. weird. I know, right? <laughs> and I don't I don't tell people that all the time, but it, it's just the truth of it. And it was for Steven and and you mm. know for the mom and and so there was just a lot that was kind of going on. And but I realized it's like I was in Houston at Minute Maid Park. If if I were to ever feel weird about baseball and feel bitter or have any resentment, yeah. it would be in this moment watching a game with like and that was the 2018 season. They had just won the World Series. I yeah. thought I was supposed to be on that team, like all that stuff, right? And yeah. I didn't. I didn't feel any sort of like weird emotions about it. I just realized I love the game. You know, it's like when Lance was pitching, I was like, I'm rooting for him because 
we were roommates in Lancaster when both of us had the worst year of our lives. It's like, we're bonded for life because of that, you know? Mm. And, and so that, yeah. So that was at the end of that 2018 season was when I started to question and I saw doctors and decided to have surgery and start the rehab. Um, and that was a long rehab process. And I, I basically did that, uh, in the morning and then in the evening or afternoons, I would go to my local church, church I was a part of. And, um, I'd help our youth pastor. And then on, on the weekends I would help teach or, um, do whatever with middle school and high school students. I did that for about two, two years while I was a rehab. So was there a turning point that you can really pinpoint from that period where you thought this is the lowest point and now I'm going to kind of make that long arduous road back towards becoming or trying to become, to, to reach the majors if that you can recall. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say the lowest point I had was in, in 2014, um, which, you know, right after I got, I signed and, you know, on the top of the world and, um, you know, and, and then over the years, it's like, it was slowly this progression of feeling a little bit better, better, better. And then 2017, I was like, I kind of had this, like, I shouldn't say a midlife crisis, but this yeah. moment where I'm like, okay, um, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? What, like, what is this yeah. all for? I've been doing this for so long. Um, and all the work I've put in everything that I've sacrificed for it's, I haven't, you know, it hasn't borne any fruit. And so I'm like, am I doing this just because I'm like masochistic and just mm-hmm. be totally fine. Just, you know, it's like, maybe this makes me feel tougher that I can just suffer for longer than, you know, other people. Um, but you know, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was this moment at the end of 2017. I'm like, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm kind of just like worn out. I'm, I feel dried up. I'm, I don't know how much left I have to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that decision to leave at the end of 2017, going into the 2018 season was probably that turning point. If I were to pinpoint one moment that actually helped me the most to get back to the big leagues, because I, I made that decision knowing that I may never play again. And, but I had peace about that. Yep. And that whatever I was going to do in life, I wanted to do it because I knew it was where I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be doing. Um, you know, and, and I was doing it with love in my heart, not obligation or pressure or worrying what other people might think, or if I'm going to let people down, you know, mm. um, and the, and I shouldn't say the decision was the moment it was the immediate aftermath with my closest friends and family when they, when I made the decision and they still chose to like support me and love me. And it's like that, that in itself was, was honestly life-changing because I cared so much and I know how much my parents sacrificed for me, you know, and they're, I know they they're so proud of me and I, I feel like they're, you know, their investment in me had already paid off over, you know, just from a financial perspective. Right. And so I felt, you know, but it was also, it wasn't that it was this, I had this dream in my heart and my parents saw that and they wanted to do whatever they could to help make that happen. And I felt like I, you know, I failed them and I failed myself and, and, and it wasn't because I wasn't good enough. It was because I was good enough and I just sucked. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, that's a tougher pill to swallow, Mm. you know? And, um, 
And so when, when they just received my decision with like full support and love, and we're like, we're so happy that you're going to be home. We're excited to spend time with you in a different context of life. And, um, and it was, it was awesome. You know, those next three or four years were just some of the best years of my life that I got to, I got to know, you know, I got to learn who Mark is as, as just a, a, a normal guy. Um, and the fun thing is, is like, I feel like I'm back playing baseball, but I'm still Mark, the normal guy, <laughs> not Mark, the first overall pick and the, you know, the future of the Astros organization and all this stuff. So, um, and that's been, that's been the best thing. You know, I think that's helped so much and just being able to manage the emotions, um, that you experience through the season and, um, and just like, enjoy it, enjoy it way more and, and do it because you love it and you love the people you're doing it with. So it's inspiring to hear that. And that's truly a heartwarming revelation and experience to kind of go through. I, I can imagine when you were at your lowest points, did either the Astros or the Phillies ever offer you anything psychological in terms of help to, to try and keep you focused on, on yeah. the here and now, uh, what sort of things could and did they offer? Yeah. Um, you know, the Astros sent out some sports psychologists to help me. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was again at that point where I was like, you know, I'm Stanford educated and, yep. you know, I was the first overall pick, like, like this shouldn't be happening. Like, and, and I, I was at this point where the help that they were trying to provide, um, just wouldn't penetrate through the walls that I had up and makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, they, I mean, they, they definitely tried to help and they cared and, um, you know, probably have some stories that I'll hopefully share at some point in the mm -hmm. future uh, to give a lot more color to, yeah. to, to that. But, um, yeah. And then, you know, the Phillies, the Phillies helped too, but you know, at, at, at an, at the end of the day, I needed to go through stepping away and, you know, discovering who I was outside yeah. of baseball in order for any help to actually penetrate because um, that, that, I mean, I, I just had so many walls up and, and I had, I had had good coaches in, in the minor leagues and I had really bad coaches. I had people giving me advice left and right. And as someone who generally had pretty good coaches in middle, middle school, high school, just growing up as in my youth, you know, they weren't like necessarily the best coaches, like, teaching me technical stuff, but, but they were good, like good people. And they understood like what their role was and just trying to make it fun for us, you know, instead of saying, Oh, do this, do this, yeah. do this. And so I was always taught, you know, just to, to, Hey, work hard, obey your coaches, trust them. And so it's like, when you have coaches that are telling you a bunch of different things, I'm like trying to do it all. Mm. And it just wasn't helping. And it it just added to this whole you know, downward cycle that I was going through. And, um, but yeah, um, you know, since then, since I left, it's like one of the things that helped me the most was, was being out of baseball for sure. And the, just the pressure and the expectation and, and letting myself have the time to like go through the emotions of, you know, man, like I, I could just list off all the emotions that I felt embarrassment, shame, fear, all this stuff as I'm going through this. And then, you know, you're starting to like realize, oh, actually life's still going and things are actually going to be okay. And, you know, it's like you get to enjoy 
little moments. I went backpacking with my dad in Colorado for a week in the middle of July in 2018. It's like, that'll never happen as long as I'm <laughs> baseball. It's like, that's been awesome. And, you know, it's like hit the rivers with some guys and, you know, in June and it was just, so it's like, I started to do these things. I'm like, wait a minute, like not only do, um, do I, can I enjoy life outside of baseball and with also no idea what I actually want to do in life. Um, but also realize that people like me for me, um, versus, you know, and, and I feel like when I left, it's like, I tried to maintain relationship with some ball players and like, they just would never text me back. And I'm like, like, I, so I'm like, I question, I'm like, I wonder if, if those relationships were purely like mercenary and like, you know, it's like, Hey, as I'm on the up and up and like, I'm a top prospect. It's like, yeah, people want to be friends with me, but Mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, when I'm out and I'm not playing baseball and I don't have anything uh, of value to offer from the, you know, the societal standpoint, it's like, you know, and so you, you kind of figure out who your true friends are through that too. Um, Hmm. and so, but, but since then it's like, I've, I've been meeting with a counselor, um, probably every, every week for the last, you know, probably 16 months or so now. And so, um, and that's been incredibly helpful because I'm also at a point where I'm like this, I still need, you know, like mental upkeep. There's still all sorts of stuff that we all go through. Honestly, who, who doesn't, I think, I think it's, it's absolutely the right outlook. I think we are conditioned to not let these things out and to, to keep them within, especially it's, it's obviously it's a very typically male thing to do to, to, to keep these things in. You must sort of be the strong man, not let your emotions get the better of you, et cetera. But you know, you need to have that release. And I think it's very, very important that, yeah. people have that opportunity to do that and I, I commend you for taking that step to do that because it's essential for mental health to be able to let your your you know your thoughts and your fears and and, and your hopes etc kind of have an outlet where you can actually talk to someone about it I think it's, it's I couldn't stress enough how important that is I even from a personal point of view I definitely would, would, would agree with that one thing which I would like to mention is, is it comes across very clearly on on social media is your faith is is very important in having got you back on on your feet if that makes sense in a yeah. baseball context. Have you always had such a strong faith, or was it something that developed over the years as a result of what you went through? I would say it's always been fairly strong, but it's it's changed in necessarily like how I understand it. Um, you know, my, my parents are very faithful people. Uh, so we grew up in a, in a Christian home. Um, and again, this goes back to just like my growth as a man. Uh, like, I think I became a Christian because I wanted to please my mom and dad. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but it wasn't until we moved to California and then I started to, you know, I was in middle school, basically in high school that I started to like um, going from, you know, a, a private Christian school in like Texas in the middle of the Bible belt, like everyone, like everyone's a Christian. I thought that's what life was. And then you go to California and it's, it's a more liberal and Christianity isn't as popular. And I was going to public school. So I was just introduced to all sorts of like conversations and, you know, mm-hmm. like, like the ways guys talk about girls and, you know, hearing, like I was kind of in a sheltered little bubble yeah. in Houston, right. And so it's like out of this bubble, like, whoa, the world is way bigger. There's way more temptation. There's all sorts of stuff that like I could yeah. I could basically be whoever I want to be. Right. And that's when I think my faith really became my own. 
Um, and then, you know, my four years at Stanford, I, um, I, you know, we had, we, had, we had a good group of guys on the team that were like-minded and wanted to pursue Jesus and, mm-hmm. um, and just like live like him. Right. And, uh, there was this man named Jim Stump who was a mentor and he just met with student athletes and just talked. I mean, he was kind of like a counselor, but just, he wasn't like trained in counseling. So, yeah. you know, but he was just like, he was like, Hey, you want to talk about life and you want to talk about faith. You want to talk about God. You want to talk about all the things that you're dealing with. Like, I, I want to be a resource to you. And so I, I met with him for four years and he was someone who, you know, greatly impacted my life and, you know, continued to encourage walking by faith. And like, for me, walking by faith is the opposite of walking by sight. It's like sometimes not logical. It's like, we oftentimes need the reason and the logic to say, I need to make this step and go in this direction. And I I found that the most like peaceful times of my life have been when I've actually done what wasn't the logical thing, but I understood it to be the thing that God was asking me to do. Um, and you know, it was like, you look at, um, you look at when I decided to go back to school for my senior year. Um, you look at when I decided to leave baseball in 2017, 18, Mm -hmm. um, when I decided to even go back, like I had, I had, you know, really try to invest in my community and be in Houston and just like figure out life. And when I started to go back, I'm like, I'm going through all these hoops and I'm spending money on my rehab and I'm doing all of this. And it's like, this doesn't really make sense. And it's kind of like an outside shot that this could happen yet through that whole time. I just had so much peace that I'm like, even if it doesn't happen, like I know it's I know it's still good and I know that there will be fruit that is produced. Maybe it's not the fruit that I'm looking for, but it's like this tree is going to bear fruit. Mm. Um like I might think it's an apple tree and and was like I, it's a, a the big league tree, right? That's like that's yeah. what I'm working towards, but maybe that's going to be the the path that leads me to to my wife someday and kids and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, all that stuff, right? And so you're like I have no idea what this is going to produce yet it, it's very clear to me that it's it's the faithful action. Um, and I think I think even people that don't understand faith have had moments where they're like, I kind of need to do something that's maybe not the popular decision amongst my friends and family, but yeah. I know it's the right thing to do. And you do it and you're like, yep, that was that changed my life in probably a way that I never expected it would, you know, and maybe it looked totally different than what you had planned. Um, but it was still so like so good and so rich and so full of life and peace and joy in the middle of all that, um, despite the the hardships and struggles yeah. that you deal with along the way. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that's that's been, you know, instrumental for my life um, and has greatly helped me um, even even this season. It's like last year, I thought that was going to be my last year playing baseball. Again, the logic of it, it's like. I'm a five ERA minor leaguer. Uh, I haven't had a good year since college. Um, you know, it's like even in 2021, I had a six ERA and I got moved to the bullpen. I'm like, yeah, show up to spring. I'm like, this is probably going to be my last year. And if that's the case, you know, might as well enjoy it. So like, yeah. let me just go out and enjoy it and just try to take, take in every moment and, I honestly kind of feel that way this year too. Like I got hurt at the end of last year. I made my big league debut. It's like never thought either of those would happen. Uh, You know, I just kind of thought I'd be an average like 
four to five ERA bullpen guy who would just get up some mop up innings or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. and God had different plans, you know? And, and I think that was just because I just showed up and I worked hard and I didn't care about what the results were necessarily. And, um, and so it's like, I, I feel like I'm kind of in the same place and I'll probably probably be in that place for as long as I'm blessed to continue to play baseball. Um, whether this is my last year or the next year or the next year, or I get another like five or seven or eight or 10 years or whatever. I don't know. Um, but it's like, all I have is, is today and I'll go to sleep yeah. and I'll wake up and then all I have is, is that day. So, yeah, I, I guess it goes back to what we said um, towards the start about controlling the controllables and being aware of the, the path ahead of you rather than kind of prognosticating and looking years down into a potential future that might not even be there yeah. because of things that happened before it. So I think I think that's a, a good way to look at things. I don't think it's negative at all. I think it's it's re- like I said, it's realistic and optimistic mm-hmm. because you're not you're not saying this will be last. You say it could be last year, but you're you're going all out to 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 do your best. And if and if things go the right way, then the next year follows. So I think I think that makes perfect sense. What I would like to just quickly touch on is you had to obviously go back through the minors having come back, which was like almost retracing steps from after you were originally drafted. What were the key differences as a minor leaguer, say seven years down the line from when you originally signed with the Astros? There's been a lot of talk in recent years about conditions of living for minor leaguers, which rightly has had the focus and, and needed to be brought up to standard because you hear stories about, you know, eight guys sharing a room or or, or whatever. And, and, and it's just, you know, this, this is the kind of thing which, you know, it can't continue because there needs to be a reasonable standard. Whilst, of course, it's going to be a case of people have to kind of learn the ropes and 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 how to live as a human being, etc. But at the same time, that doesn't give an excuse for major league clubs to kind of just shove players en masse into conditions that aren't acceptable. So the, the question would be, what differences did you see? Are they positive changes? And kind of what's your view on that as a whole? Yeah, yeah. I think I think there there have been incredible, incredible amount of positive changes. Um, you know, I, I I did share a Twitter thread a little over maybe right around a year ago or so mm. was talking about kind of some of the, because people were talking about the new rules with the housing program and yeah. the minor leagues and stuff. And um, I was just like, you know, I think people are kind of interested in this. It's clear that like the minor league housing portion of baseball is, and just the minor league life is like not good PR for baseball. And so I was like, let me just give some insight into this as someone who, has seen it firsthand, but also didn't have to necessarily like I had the resources to get my own place and buy my own food and stuff like that. And so um, I think, you know, the the Phillies have done a great job and this is my really my only contacts and maybe talking to other guys and other orgs, but it's like the Phillies are providing, you know, on game days, they provide a, a, a meal when you get there, a pregame meal and a postgame meal. So you're getting three meals a day. Um, and then, you know, for the housing program, it's, I think if you're making under, I think it's like $20,000 a month, then you're, um, and again, this is only during the season. So it's not like we're all making, you know, 250,000 yeah, yeah. right? yeah. five months that you're playing. But if you're making under that, the, the team is providing housing, um, which, um, which was really good for, for us last year in AAA. And, uh, you know, and, and so there's all these things that were just added stressors to a minor leaguer's life that they had to, they had to deal with. Not only do they have to deal with that, but they have to go out and perform every night because mm. 
they're trying to get to the big leagues. And so it's like all of these things combined, I'm like, man, if the team could, the team has the people and the resources to be able to help with this, find housing and subsidize it and all this stuff. Like if they aren't going to play the pay the players, it's like the, and honestly, the players would continue to play for less money as long as these other stressors are taken care of. Yeah. I think at, at within the next three to five years, I think it's going to be standard and mandatory for every triple a stadium to have a full kitchen. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and to have, you know, the team to provide some sort of chef or, or, you know, yeah. kitchen oversight, right. To provide these meals, because that's going to be ultimately the long-term cheapest option for the team versus catering. Right. So they can get mm-hmm. higher quality ingredients, at a lower cost because they're they're sourcing it and then they're cooking it themselves um and all of that i think just adds uh it creates a better product on the field and at the end of the day any fan wants to have a, the best product on the field as possible and so i think that's going to be the best solution honestly um and i've seen i've thought that for for a long time and um you know it's cool to see some of those ideas and things like coming to mm. fruition um because it, it sucks when you have guys that they have so much talent, but maybe they haven't had enough time to like fully develop that, but they don't have enough money and they have families and they're like, I got to I got to Like my priorities, my family, I want to do this through baseball, but I, I just can't afford to do it anymore. I lose money every year. I, <laughs> I work mm. this job, <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear that from you. And in terms of the outlook being more positive for minor leaguers now than it perhaps has been in the, in the past. And like I said, long may that continue in terms of being an upward curve of, uh, of improvements on the same subject of the minor leagues and potentially even before that, what I wanted to ask was in your career, you started off as a reliever, you became a starter and then you now are a reliever again. How much input do you have in that decision as a player? And um, obviously, I guess there are times when pitching coaches will talk to you and say, well, maybe I don't think this is working for you. I think this could work better for you. But as a, as a youngster and as and then kind of as you progress through, how much input do you have into that type of conversation? Yeah, um, a little bit. Um, you know, I think the younger you are and the more like promise you show, you have more input. It's just the nature of it, you know um more than the other way around so so for example say in a make-believe world this is say you turn up to spring training with the phillies you impress and you say hey i actually feel like i can be a starting pitcher again obviously and this is a totally sort of arbitrary situation but is that something which the discussion could even be had or is it a case of no you wouldn't even be able to to raise that as a topic yeah i mean you could raise it as a topic and they're like dude like (laughs) <laughs> like no <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm you know i'm at i'm at the point in my career where it's like uh, i don't know like maybe if i can if i can manage my health and mm. keep my, my arm and my my elbow and my shoulder uh healthy right which has been a, it's been a challenge for me i'm not gonna yeah. lie right? um you know i've had good years i've had bad years when it comes to that but um and last year wasn't even that bad it was just like inflammation is just bad timing but uh, it's like, you know, maybe if I could do that, it's like, yeah, maybe I could I could figure out how to start. But it's like, I don't think the Phillies see me in that role. And that's fair and, enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, 
we don't have enough time to figure this out for you. Like we, like we don't want to invest in just a redevelopment of you coming back to be a starter. So it's like, you're good as a reliever, like, and you can actually add value. And, and then for me, it's like, that's all I want to do. I just want to add value to the team. I want to help out wherever I can. And it's just a different mindset at this point for me, but Mm -hmm. younger guys like, and you know, if the Astros, for example, said, Hey, yes. Mark, we have to move to the bullpen. I've been like, dude, I'm a starter. Like, yes. like I, that's what I've done. That's what I did for, you know, three and a half years in college. And like, I've had success and I feel like I know how to have success. I'm just struggling right now, mm. you know? And so it, there would have been more resistance for me back then. Um, you know, sense. yeah. Part of it was probably just because I, you know, i you know, maybe starters are more valuable. It's what I'm most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. What's the best path forward? Is it to kind of try to figure it out as a, as a reliever or continue working and continue trying to figure out how to have success as a starter? Because, you know, long-term it's like, if he's had success as a starter, then we want to keep him as a starter because that's going to add yeah. the most value to the organization. But if he hasn't, then like let's kind of rethink this thing and kind of go back to the drawing board. And so that's what we did with the with the Phillies last year. And and I was hundred hundred thousand percent open to it because again, I was coming in. I'm like, I get it. This is probably gonna be my last year. And yeah. so like beggars can't be choosers. Uh, yeah. I, I just um, wanted yeah. to play. And so when I say younger and mm. with more promise, that's kind of what I mean by that, is that like you you probably have a little bit more time when you're younger in your career to be the pitcher that you want to be and prove it. You know, you're like, yeah. hey, I want to be a starter. They're like, uh, I don't know if we project you as that, but we can throw you in a and maybe the level below that we had you. You know, say you were going to go to Double A, we'll send you to High A. Say we'll let you start for a month or two months or something like that. Mm. If it's not working we're going to make a change, but they, they have the time and, and they'll let you prove it, you know, and that's not for everyone because there are some young guys that are also like, should have the mindset of like, this might be my last year. Like, let me, mm. you know, it's like, I don't, I don't have any leverage in that, those conversations. And that's just, it's just the reality of it, you know? Um, and until yeah. you, until you prove it, you probably don't have much room to, you know control your career for sure um it's interesting because i'm just thinking back to a conversation i had on the show with another astros phillies connection in kent emmanuel i don't know if you yeah i don't know if you've had much chance to to speak with him but i I was talking to him about the difference in training for um starters versus relievers and he was saying it's much more explosive as a reliever and you've got kind of work on being able to kind of hit the ground running and obviously be impacting instantly whereas obviously as a starter you can kind of you've got more time to obviously you can you, you need to be able to to kind of ease your way into a start you can't be going 100% every single pitch because you just burn out and probably fall to pieces so it's, it's, have you found that the training routine regime etc as as a reliever is more intense or a different kind of intense or is is it more suited towards you how, how does it work it's it it's just different you know um it, it's more i think Kent was right it's more explosive um, like there's a, there's a longevity piece for starting pitchers from my perspective. Um, and so it's like you, you throw and then that next recovery day is like, you might be doing a, a big workout. Right. And mm. so it's like, you aren't, you probably aren't going to be feeling fully recovered for like two or three days until yeah. after you throw. Right. 
and uh and then you know hopefully you get a, a bullpen in and then you're ready for to go on you know day five or day mm-hmm. six um like relievers like you kind of need to be ready to go every day so it's going to be sh- shorter workouts like we don't want to totally fatigue you um you know it's going to be explosive we want to try to prime your your central nervous system so that when you go out on the mound like we don't know if you're going to pitch tonight but yeah. if you're if you are then like we want you to be fully ready but then you're like well i gotta be i gotta do that every single day and yeah. so it's like you can't you can't just like go and crush a you know, two hour lower body workout and, you know, and then, <laughs> then like, Oh yeah. Well, I got a pitch. Staggering onto the mouth. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it definitely is different, but actually for me, I, I, I do like the, the transition and I like the, um, I like the consistency of mm-hmm. it, even though, like, I don't know when I'm pitching, it's like the work stays pretty consistent throughout the the week and and then you just make adjustments based on when I do pitch and how much I throw. So it's like, all right, man, I threw two innings and know I'm down today. So like I might be able to get a bigger workout in. Or if that's not the best things, like maybe I just like focus on recovery and get still get something small in, but focus on recovery, just spend a little more time in the training room and then and then I'll be ready to go the next day. Um and so it's like as long as you have like your your plan and that's consistent and then you can riff off of that um throughout the season based on your your volume and and how you're you know how often you throw again thanks for for that it's very interesting as a an outlook on that i wanted to just look at more general things in baseball starting with um if you were going to give advice to young major leaguers or even people who've just been drafted, what would you say? What would you what would you advise to them in terms of if they're listening to well, they may be listening to this if if they come across this, or just generally, I'd be interested to hear what your advice would be for them in that position. Yeah, honestly, it's it's hard for me to say uh, because what I've learned is that everyone's in a different spot, and so like the advice I might give one person might be different mm-hmm. than the advice I give someone else. Um if I could reframe the question, the advice I'd give myself when I was coming in. Yeah. Like letter to your younger self kind of, yeah. yeah far away. Yeah, would honestly just be um, like, like don't, don't take things for granted. Um, and, uh, and like to the best of your ability, try to figure out how to be fully present in today. Um and and like forgetting about the past, forgetting about the future, and just focusing on your work today. And that's easier said than done. It's very cliche, but it's like mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a skill that can be learned. Like you can practice that. You can be aware of when you aren't, and then you can you know say, oh, okay, all right, I, I understand that. That's not what I want to do. Let me let me bring my focus back to right now to this moment, so that I can be fully fully present. I mean. It's like we know it. It's like we're distracted by everything. Social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Uh I, you know, I got emails coming in, people asking me about certain things, right? I got, you know, uh, I want to be prepared for a podcast that I'm doing, right, right? All this stuff. And then yeah. I need to get the field. And so it's like, man, what I what I think took for granted was just like how precious each day can be. Um, if you see it that way and if you make it precious and that like each day might be something that could change the outlook. Like I had a hour long conversation yesterday. I, I just showed up the field because I wanted to get some work in and I 
drove 16 hours from Houston on uh, on uh, Saturday. So I went to the field in the morning before the Super Bowl. And, and then I had an hour conversation with our pitching coach and we were just talking baseball. And I'm like, man, I might look back at some point this season and say, hey, that that hour conversation with our pitching coach, I've been putting to practice some of those things. And that's actually the reason I'm having success this year, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like you never you never know, like when those things are going to happen. Um, that's why you just you show up in your present and you try to just engage in what's going on around you. Um, and I, I found that I looking back, it's like I disengaged because that was my coping mechanism for dealing with all the pressure and the failure and the struggles that I had. And, and, and like, it drove me to depression, you know, mm. so I'm like, that's not the place you want to be if you're trying to, you know, enjoy life and have success and, and do the things you want to do. And so like, for me, that's been one of the biggest lessons I've learned is just like, be fully present today. Um, and don't, don't take any day for granted because it's like, there will be a day where you don't wake up and you don't get a Jersey on. And yeah, that day already came for me. And by God's grace, I got to have, I got to put jerseys on again. Mm. I honestly thought last year was going to be that year that I, you know, last day of the season, last time I'm wearing a jersey, you know, and here I am again, by God's grace that I get it, I get to play another year. But I know like any day this, this year, it's like, if I'm not playing well, if I'm, if I'm having the worst season of my life, like they need that roster spot. So it's like, man, you're, you're out of here. It's like, I don't know what could happen. And then, you know, on the flip side, it's like, I could play this year. I could get called up and I could have just the best year of my life and stay healthy the whole year. Maybe we help win the, you know, help win a world series with the Phillies. Right. Hopefully the Astros. Hopefully, hopefully the- not. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but you never know. It's just like, like, what if I become a piece of that? Yeah. And, that that buys me another year to play and 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 maybe you know it's just like you ju- uh, you just never know what could happen um but i know that the like the best way to get the things that i think you want and you're working towards is to zero in your focus on today and just say all right i know this work the work that i need to do today and i'm just going to do it to the best of my ability and whatever happens in the future i can't control that so I think that's an, again an admirable outlook and one which many people could learn from. I think we're 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 very much trapped in this strange kind of almost dichotomy of, of instant social media gratification, but also looking too far ahead as well, not really managing to see where we are. So I, I, I totally agree with you on that. Absolutely nailed it. Okay, slightly different. Let's say the, the, there are a lot of changes, rule changes coming into Major League Baseball the last few years. Uh, more announced today. Let's just say you are now the commissioner of Major League Baseball. What three changes are you going to bring into Major League Baseball to improve the sport? That's a great question. I haven't thought about that. Um, uh, I can don't, be anything you like. Yeah, um, I think I think doing it, and they've already started working on it. it was like doing a review challenge system for the automatic balls and strikes. Um, I think that's just a really smart idea because yeah. they're. You know, I look at it. It was like, there's one I would have reviewed last year and would have struck out Dansby Swanson. You know, I'm like, that that, that would have been pretty cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I missed my spot. It was still a strike, but, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and then I, I'm sure I, I could probably point out a couple where like the umpire gave yeah, me yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, okay. So that's, that's number one. Yeah. What's the second I one? That, I think that one makes sense. Um, 
you know, I think, uh, I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't see like, honestly, I don't see like a huge problem with baseball the way that it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know everyone is concerned about the, it's like, I think MLB is really concerned. They think that the time, like how long a game is, is the big issue. Like that's why no one shows up at the games. I'm like, well, one, it's, it's a lot of games. It's like, yeah, so yeah. it's like, it's hard to, if, unless you're a diehard fan, you aren't going to be watching every game, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's a problem. Maybe make the season a little bit shorter, but yeah. And okay. Yeah. Revenue, revenue is a big deal. Right. Um, I don't okay. know if I would really change too many things um, about the current game as it is. Um, I think the bigger bases is going to have a huge impact. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and only pitchers only be able to step off the mound twice as, as well. Yeah, that, I think, I mean, we, we I did that in, yeah, we did that in minor league, uh, minor leagues last year. So that's, that's going to be one that like, uh, Caleb Cotham, our pitching coach was like, yeah. Hey, you might need to talk to some of the guys about this. Cause you dealt with that. And I was mm. like, yeah, kind of sucked, but you know, it is what it is. Um, you can, you can use it to your advantage in some ways. So. I don't know if that's going to be in the in the postseason or not because I'm just thinking when you've got a loud, feverish atmosphere in the crowd and and it's a key moment. It's a seventh inning, for example, and and you know you've got a guy on first and and your team is two one up and and you're trying to protect this lead and then suddenly you know you can't keep this guy at first and he gets into scoring position purely by virtue of the fact that you haven't got a chance to to keep him there. I'm thinking. I don't like the way that they're trying to change the way the game is played via the rules that they're introducing. And I, I just think, I mean, again, the shift restriction is a strange one to me. I don't understand. I don't think that's necessary. The fact is, it's part of, for me, it's part of strategy. If you've got a hitter who he is a pull hitter, left-handed pull hitter, and obviously we've got, is in the Astros, you know, Kyle Tucker and, and uh, Jordan Alvarez and Michael Brantley all love to, to pull to that side naturally by virtue of being left-handed hitters. You know, I, I feel like even as an Astros fan, I think it's strange to, to try and take away that tactic. So, yeah, I just don't like the way that, MLB are trying to dictate the way games are played as a result of the changes that they're introducing, like you mentioned about with the larger bases and, you know, as I mentioned with shift restrictions. And I just think what you said a moment ago is is very true. Who are they catering for here? It's like, yeah. you know, bringing in the pitch clock. I mean, personally, I know I'm actually quite interested to hear your experiences with that. What, what's your view on, on the pitch clock? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before I, before I, talk about the pitch clock i i definitely agree with you that like any other league that has game that has rule changes it either caters to the referees the umpires uh the players um but like the commissioner's office needs to have a gauge and understanding of who the fan base is and Mm. what fans are trying to attract and i don't think mlb does and i think they've had a hard time with that for a long time and so i have thoughts about how to do that but um but right now we, we have these these rule changes and yeah uh, but yeah the the pitch clock the pitch clock I, I dealt with in AAA last year and how was it it was interesting um you know there'd be some guys that were you know veteran guys that were stuck in their ways and they're like i don't even care like i like in between uh innings they have these rules like you can't have any throwdowns all this stuff but guys have to routine say what well, i got eight pitches i'm throwing two fastballs you know slider change whatever and um and so that was 
you know, there was a guy in the bullpen for a different team. And he's like, yeah, I just go in and I tell the umpire right away. It's like, I'm throwing my pitches, just like give you a heads up and I'll take a one Oh count to start the first at bat. I don't care. You know? That is, yeah. I mean, that's, for so me, like, I mean, I get it. I, I just think it should, it shouldn't have to be that way. No. And then, and then we, we had a lot of situations where you had, uh, you know, three, two count and, you know, it's like you're focusing, you're trying to lock in, right? And you're trying to make the best pitch possible. <clears throat> and then guy starts his delivery, but the clock had already hit zero and it just hits zero. And umpire goes, time, time, ball four, you know? And we're like, this is a base, like, like let, let us compete. Like we aren't trying yeah. to waste time, you know, but they were instructed, hey, you got to be strict on this, all, all that stuff. Um, I did realize like the games are a lot faster. It is true. Like there's, there's evidence for that. So, you know, I like, but I don't know if people that are going to a game want it to be faster. Like, like that you go to, like you go to a game to just enjoy yourself. And it's like, there's a lot of them. You can probably get a pretty cheap ticket. Maybe you go after work or something and you're yeah. like, oh, let me just watch like five, six innings and, and then go home. Like, it's not a big deal, you know? Um, and, and for like day games, you know, like weekend games, it's like people want to be at the park for four or five hours. Like yeah. they love that kind of stuff. So I, I just, I don't, I don't agree with it and I don't like buy into it. I don't think that, I think there'll be a, a slight adjustment, but I think yeah. everyone will be able to figure it out, you know, but like, I'm like, what is it? What does it accomplish other than like, I'm happy, you know, as a player, it's like, sometimes I'm happy, especially if I didn't play that day. I'm like, well, you know, I didn't have to be at the field for, you know, three and a half hours. It's like yeah. we're at, we're out of there in, you know, 245 and, you know, mm. I'm in bed by 11 p.m. <laughs> it's like, that's great. It sounds great to me. But. Yeah, I just, I just think it's strange because if you didn't like baseball at three and a half hours, you're not going to like it at two and a half. So I don't why Why are we why are we and I say we as just the entire baseball fraternity? I mean, yes, you want to bring on new fans, of course. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, that's that's key. But not at the expense of the sport. It's just it just seems no. like you know the whole cutting off your nose to spite your face. It just doesn't add up to me as to yeah. Why would you yeah. want to alienate fans you've already got to bring on fans who probably aren't even going to be fans anyway? So it's just just yeah. doesn't add up. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you feel the same way about it because I, I I'm anxious to see how the season goes this year. And it might sound a bit counterproductive for someone who's watching games at like midnight one in the morning to want, to want them to go longer rather than to be shorter but it's um because the time difference here tends you know a, a, a night game in houston would be yeah. starting um yeah like i said sort of 12 or one o'clock in the morning so it's um you would have thought it would go the other way but i i like that experience of it being um that length of time yeah i i, th- I think i for me i think the like the low-hanging fruit for mlb to solve is is the MLB T like if they want to keep MLB TV, you can't have the blackout restrictions for the hometown team. Thank you. Like, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, and then I think they need to they need to figure out how to market like the game to other people. It's like what are what are some of the most like popular sports related shows? It's like yeah. they're documentary shows. Yeah. There is like the NFL with the hard knocks, right? Mm-hmm. You got Formula One, Drive to Survive. Yeah. Um, you know, now you, you have full swing that's coming out on Netflix for about the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, I can't tell you how many times people have told me about how big of a fans they are of formula one because they watch drive to survive. Yeah. And so I'm like, why, why doesn't MLB, if they want to really invest in growing the game, 
they need to invest in in allowing the personalities in the game to be known by countless people. And yep. it's just been so closed off. And, um, you know, it, another hard part is, is you're playing every day. So it's like, you're really going to have to work really hard to get the players to cooperate. But what if, what if you, you say, all right, we want to grow this game. Let's go from 162 game season to 142 game season or 140 mm-hmm. game season. Let's, have a couple extra off days. Well, hopefully that'll decrease injuries. We'll have better product on the field. There'll be, you know, just yeah. like the, hopefully the games will be better. And then on the, some of those off days, it's like, we can make sure we can get some of this documentary style footage that I think fans are, would be super excited. Yeah. About. I think people love that content. Yeah. So that, I mean, those are, those are like my ideas, but you know, I just don't I don't know enough about the business of all that to try to like actually make it happen, but I think mm. it would pay off, you know. It's like the world's moving towards video content. Um is is like that feels like it's king right now. So yeah, I mean it's interesting because I think people have always in the media speculated upon baseball's apparent incoming demise if you look back there it's quite funny actually. i can't remember when it was i think it was on twitter i saw a thread which had clippings of like through the decades of sports writers saying oh baseball is dying da, 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 da. and obviously you know 100 years later pretty much um i think it's going back as far as that uh here we are and, and, and baseball is obviously still there they still seem to be stuck in a way which does i wouldn't say jeopardize the future of the sport on, on an existential level but just in terms of like you said the purity of it as an experience and um what it is and and how it tries to attract new people to follow it especially young people it is a bit of a an anomaly to have a sport which is played an extraordinary amount of times during the year i mean 162 games is let's face it it's crazy i mean it's, if you were starting a new sport you wouldn't play 162 games of it there's just no way and it, it's strange because it's what we love about the sport we, we love the fact that baseball is so constant and that it is this grind that goes on through the regular season and that it has these ebbs and flows and it, you can kind of, I wouldn't say tap in and tap out, but in, there are times when it, the, it kind of intensifies and there are times when it eases off a bit and you can relax and enjoy the experience, which is very much at odds from the postseason, which is a completely different animal. But in terms of that experience, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Major League Baseball have a clue in terms of how they market it. I don't know why it's that way because it's been that way for so long. Yeah. Whether it's the, the 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 personnel involved in in those departments, I really couldn't couldn't say. But I mean, you have you have the World Baseball Classic that's starting very soon, and and what a great opportunity to market the sport for the world. And then you have Major League Baseball teams pulling players out who you know I, I had to speak on um, Jazz Chisholm for he he wanted to play for Great Britain. The Marlins said, "Well, no, you had you were injured for a certain number of days last year. We're not going to risk that." Guys, right. you you have an opportunity to grasp this this moment where you have all the different flavors of baseball from around the world. Major League Baseball is wonderful, but we as we all know, but baseball is bigger than Major League Baseball. You have Jap, you know, you've got the way that it is played and experienced in Japan, in Korea, Australia, wherever. You have this this wonderful movement, and what an opportunity to try and further that and develop that. And instead of that, you're kind of you're just saying no. Let's look at let's not even think about that. Let's look at just the Major League Baseball season coming up. And I get it, you know, I get that these players are contracted to these teams and I get that these teams are understandably not necessarily worried about what other nations in the World Baseball Classic are going to do. But it's a great tournament, you know, it's a tournament which which is, offers something different. I mean, Major League Baseball is a wonderful product in itself, but I think that it's awesome to have this 
multicultural, multidimensional tournament. And to, to see it get treated like that by Major League Baseball clubs, honestly, I find, you know, it saddens me. I, I can as someone in Britain, we've just qualified for the first ever time for the World Baseball Classic. Really looking forward to seeing, you know, how we get on. Realistically speaking, we're probably going to get absolutely <laughs> smashed by America, <laughs> by Mexico, Canada and, and, and what have you. But it's, you know, it's a phenomenal chance to have that opportunity. And and I, I just think, you know, why not embrace that? Why not have Major League Baseball saying, you know what? Yeah, okay. We've got this chance to really advertise this to, to youngsters around the world and say, this is the sport to get involved with in a world where we look for that instant gratification in, in social media and, and, and what have you. Why not get involved with this and see the colours and the energy and the, and the vibrance of, of this tournament? I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I, I, yeah. it saddens me. No, I, I, I definitely do. You know, I think, I think the WBC is a great way to grow the game, and you know, MLBs I think try to cooperate, but yeah, there's just that whole business side of things, and yeah, I, I remember even like, uh, you know, wasn't didn't like the um, NBA they they didn't let their players go play in the Olympics and and things like that for a while, mm. and like. Um, and I know like baseball, you know, the United States, um, you know, is almost never like, they don't, they don't send big leaguers to the Olympics, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that's something that you're like, man, I, I wish there was a way you could show off the best of the best. Cause that's what the Olympics is about, you know, and world baseball classic has kind of become the Olympics of yeah. baseball because it just times up better. And maybe you just make baseball a uh a uh, winter sport <laughs> you know move it to the winter olympics yeah right? you know it 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 is what it is and yeah it's, it's a bummer sometimes but like at the end of the day the world like as ideal as you can make the world um like i wish it was super ideal like it's just yeah. not so you can no, just it's true. deal with the reality of things so yeah it's, it's, it'll, it'll be a great tournament though yeah who's your prediction for the winner Oh gosh. Uh I mean, I think I think I'm I gotta be a hometown, you know, I gotta root for the home home the home club, the United States. Yeah. Um like a, just with you know, Mike Trout playing and you know it's a like, team, yeah. Yeah, you, you really have a lot of guys that are just so have been there for a long time and and had a lot of success. And so but I love it because it's like you know, Venezuela and Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. Dominican. That team is nasty, honestly. Wow. The, they... Dominican is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and so you're like, man, all of these teams, you know, Japan is going to be incredible too. And mm. they've got Shohei and he's probably the best player in baseball. He's an from, icon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, unbelievable. So like, all right, well, it's going to be a great tournament. I'm excited about it. Mm. Cool. I think we're probably going to wrap up there. Uh, it's been a phenomenal conversation. I'm really thrilled to have had it with you. And I'm also more, moreover, I'm thrilled that you're in such a good place and that you're uh, on the up and up in terms of just, you, you know, your life and your baseball career. It's, it's great to see because I, I think many other people may have not managed to deal with it the way that you have and to, to, to emerge the other side with such a, a positive and progressive outlook. I, 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 you know, I can't commend you enough on it. And uh, I wish you all the very, very best for the forthcoming season and, and the future. Thanks, George. I I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's it's been a journey, but you know, I've just seen God's good and all of it, and it's like life's too short to to just hate it and 
hate yourself and and to struggle through it so um yeah, yeah. Uh, so just to fill you in as you what you said about how do i become an astros fan i happened to be up late one night in channel five and a network over here was showing the feeds of the sunday night and wednesday night baseball from espn saw a bit of the astros playing um obviously the killer bees uh it was actually mike hampton though who was the the real reason why i um I made the initial decision to support the astros because he was we're not quite talking about Atani, but we're talking about a player who was a very good hitter for a pitcher back in those days. It was like, wow, this guy can can do can do both pretty well. Uh, he was a great pitcher and I had a phenomenal year that year. So I made a decision before the 2000 season as a 15 year old. I said, right, I'm going to be an Astros fan. Um, yeah. so I didn't want to. I didn't want to go the glory hunting route. I didn't want to pick the Yankees. So it was always off, <laughs> immediately off the table. And then lo and behold, before the season started, he got traded to the Mets. So I was like, oh my god, do I do I follow my captain to the Mets and become a Mets fan, or do I stick with the Astros? I thought, no, I can't follow a player around because I'm going to end up changing team every you know every year right. or so. So yeah, I stayed stuck with the Astros, and 23 years later, here I am. Wow, it's paid off over the last six oh, or seven. <laughs> hell. I'm also um, part of the group MLB UK community. We hold live watch parties for um, all fans of all teams during during the season under this hashtag MLB Meetups UK, and it's it's yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing, and, you know. And I, I love I love doing that, and it's a, it, we're really trying to grow the game here and, and grow the fan base here. That's awesome. That that's that's so cool. I you know I've seen some of the like UK like certain fan fan accounts on Twitter. Oh, yeah? and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, Phillies, yeah, really- Dave Shaw, yeah, he's, he's a good friend of mine. But yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. We really do want to grow and grow and grow this thing across, you know, not just online, in, in actual, you know, real life as well. It's, uh, it's a long road and, you know, there are lots of obstacles, but I truly believe that baseball interest here can coexist with other sports. I, th- I feel like there's the outlet in terms of being able to keep in touch with it online. There are ways, it's, you know, it's, it's not this distant kind of alien sport, which you can't get to grips with. It's there and, and it's all about, again, it's all about the marketing, in terms of from our side we're trying to market it to british people and to say look this is a great sport to get involved with whether it's people who play baseball and softball and other things of that nature or whether it's people who who just want to follow another sport and and you know we've got the london series coming back in june with the, the cubs and the cardinals coming over when the red sox and the yankees were here in 2019 it was it was phenomenal it was absolutely extraordinary and um we, we really can't wait for it to come again and it's it's, it's a, again it's a wonderful experience and opportunity for us awesome. yeah Awesome. Cool. I anyway, well, I appreciate you, you no spreading the yeah. word and trying to grow the game. So that's, that's what it's all about. So best of luck for this year. Yeah. So much Thank thanks you. so much for your time. Cheers, Mark. Great to see you. Bye. Bye. Well, what a fascinating chat that was with Mark Appel. It was so inspiring to hear him talk about his journey and how he has made it to where he is with such a blend of positivity and realism. I think too often we take for granted the sacrifices made by baseball players and indeed professional athletes in general. So to hear Mark open up about the steps he took to get himself right mentally, physically and spiritually, I think no matter who we are and the trials and tribulations that we face in our lives, we can look toward his outlook and take hope from that. Talking to someone about the things which trouble us is so important and I commend Mark Appel for having the strength to take this step. I also enjoyed discussing the progress that has been made in living conditions for minor league baseball players, with Appel having had the fairly unique chance to view it in somewhat different eras. It was also a relief to hear that he shares my scepticism over the rationale behind Major League Baseball's rule changes for 2023 and his support for the World Baseball Classic as a tournament. A very likeable guy to talk with. I wish Mark all the very best with his career as he looks to find a permanent MLB role this year. If you want to find him on social media, and as mentioned, he is certainly a worthwhile and engaging follow, his Twitter handle is at MarkAppel26 and similarly his Instagram is also MarkAppel26. That's all for episode 15. Please also make sure you are following me on social media 
that's at Astros Fans UK on Twitter, UK Astros Fans on Instagram, and I'm also on Facebook as George Martin with the Union Jack in Astros colours as the display pick. If you have any Astros Across the Globe questions, you can also email me at astrosfansuk at gmail.com. Please definitely make sure that you follow Apollo Media too, that's at Apollo HOU on Twitter and Apollo HOU on Instagram. Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. Thank you again for listening to Strokes Across the Globe. Please subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you are listening to this. I look forward to having you with me again for the next episode. And remember, wherever you are across the globe, let's go Strokes.